And now, live, it's time. Which team, by colors alone, is identifiable around the world? It's time for the JT the Brick Show. Which team, by slogan, commitment to excellence? On Raider Nation Radio, 920 AM. Just win, baby. All those things are the Raiders. Here's your host, JT the Brick. JT, as we open up the show, good to be back here from Lake Tahoe, back in Las Vegas, as we begin a big week of Raider Nation Radio, brought to you by PTs, the best happy hour in town, 5 to 7, midnight to 2, head on out to PTs to watch the Golden Knights tonight, as the Golden Knights are trying to even the series with the Colorado Avalanche. Good to be back, on for a few days, up in beautiful Lake Tahoe, a place that I absolutely love. Uh, The trip for me was the good, the bad, and the ugly. I'll explain that. I'll do a deeper dive a little bit later on the show. A good time going to an event that not many people around the country went to. I had tremendous access to what I thought on paper or on ice or on slow ice and melting ice was one of the best opportunities to go to a sporting event and see something cool that I've never seen before. And it lived up to all that in an area that I was really familiar with in Tahoe, had a chance for 10 years to do my radio show from the American Century Celebrity Golf Tournament, and they put the ice arena on the 18th fairway of that great golf course. So I know the area well. I knew the footprint of South Lake Tahoe. I had a boys' trip. A bunch of my friends came with me and had a really good time. So I'll dive into that road trip a little bit later on, and people I bumped into, new friends I made, and just what it's like to have an opportunity. What You want to talk about the perks that I have. The perks that I have in my life in sports radio have been incredible. Uh, This Memorial Day will be my 25th anniversary in radio. And the opportunity I've had with the Raiders, which opened up so many doors with the Hall of Fame, and the opportunities I've had with the Golden Knights, and before that, other teams. It's just incredible boxing. Probably my biggest perk was boxing over my career, the ability to sit ringside at the biggest fights in the world for almost 25 years. But this was really cool uh, being up at Lake Tahoe, even though the Golden Knights lost. I'll get to that here in the monologue. Anything you want to talk about, we're wide open. 702-365-9200 is the number you want to get in on. Uh, Start dialing up Ron Jaworski, Jaws. Remember the losing quarterback in Super Bowl 15 to Jim Plunkett. We were trying to connect with him last week. He's good to go today. He will join us at 1 o'clock. Former Raider. Former Raider Randy McClanahan will join us, part of that Super Bowl 15 team. We'll also jump in, so we'll have a lot to do with that, and we'll get into all of these games, and we'll talk about the history of the Raiders with him, the impact that the Super Bowl had. So a pretty good opportunity to open up the show. If you're listening to us on the streaming app, we need to know how we sound. If you're listening to us on 920, we need to know how we sound. In regards to technically, I understand there's been a couple of issues as I was away with the stream. Let us help fix it for you. Uh, get through, call us, let us know. Hit me up on Twitter, at JT the Brick, as we're ready to go out of the gate. And then there's a ton of, ton of news coming up here on what's going to happen with NFL free agency and the franchise tag. NFL free agency and the tags that are coming around the league. And we'll see if the Raiders can jump in and get a couple additional players. Uh, Much hasn't changed on the Marcus Mariota front. Much hasn't changed at all. 
as I've been diving around looking for information, texting, talking to people on that issue, it doesn't seem like there is a big market for Marcus Mariota other than the New England Patriots. And if the New England Patriots want to do a deal and they want to get a deal done with the Raiders, what would Raider fans want to do and give up for Marcus Mariota? You know, a couple of people are smart enough to know you don't want to do a deal with Bill Belichick. Why would you? Bill Belichick gets rid of players that he doesn't want, and he takes on players that he wants and you might not know the value in. I'll say this again. I spent a couple of days last week talking on this topic. The Raiders with their cap issue, and the cap issue is going to get better here, right? It's going to get better here over the next couple of weeks. Tyrell Williams gone. They're going to make a decision on what's going on and trying to get everybody lined up with Trent Brown, what they're going to do with Joyner at the safety slot position, all of these issues here. With my analysis and hosting the pre- and post-game show and interviewing John Gruden every week and the knowledge that I believe I have, there's a bunch of players who should not be invited back on this team. A bunch of players that should not be invited back. There are some players that have to be back because they were drafted so high and they're so young that they probably should have to compete or possibly not be back, but they're going to be here because of the business decision to draft them. So that's going to be the big deal and the reason why Gus Bradley was brought in and the reason why everybody's trying to figure out how to coach this team up on the defensive side. Nelson Aguilar is a really important decision coming up because he has good chemistry with Carr, but there's also a flood, an absolute flood of wide receivers in free agency out there. So if you look at all of that and all the players that might be available, the Raiders have to have one of their most important off-seasons in Raider history. And that's because of a report that Mike, uh, Mike Florio is saying, uh, good positive news, that the NFL could be at 75% capacity and the hope of 100% capacity for these NFL games upcoming this fall because of positive good news with COVID-19. That would be vaccination, herd immunity, second shots, ability for people to get their shot, no matter what your age is, and be able to come to a game. And the Raiders have not opened that stadium to fans yet. So this is really a relaunch of the Raiders in Vegas because the first year I thought the team played reasonably well most of the year until what happened at the end of the year where they missed the playoffs. Now the Raiders are going to open up that building. I'm not here to predict. I don't make predictions in Mark Davis's office or Mark Bedane's office. They're going to decide how many Raider fans can come in. Let's be optimistic and think all of us will be able to go to a game. And the team is going to launch a brand new brand in Las Vegas to the global Raider Nation. So anybody who enters this world of Raider football is going to have to be an upgrade from the players before them. If they're going to remain here as Raiders, they have to fight to keep their job because there's going to be better players brought in to, I think, push them to keep their jobs. That is what's happening right now. Gruden and Mayock, Gus Bradley and the new coaching staff, Rod Marinelli, Tom Cable, all the offensive coordinators who work with John Gruden, there are several offensive minds in that room are trying to get better. And the only way I see the Raiders getting better, significantly better, is they're going to have to do some great, great things in free agency with trades and the draft. I've told you it's the first time since I've been with the Raiders that I've I've said that the priority's got to be players who are proven more so than draft picks. And that's hard to say because most great NFL teams build via the draft. 
the Raiders have been able to draft some good players, but now they, I think they have to jump in. They have to jump in with trades. They have to be all in. They have to be aggressive, and they have to take chances with proven players who can step up and play at a very high level. Who will that be? You know, I like David Irving coming back. I think Trent Brown shouldn't be here if he's brought here on a restructured deal, and he proves that he can play. He could be a great player in this league. But they're going to have to find edge rushers, linebackers, secondary players who can come in and play at a super high level. Do I have confidence that they will? Yeah, I have confidence that they're going to have a renewed sense of urgency in regards to the free agency and trade market, but that's tough to predict. It really is. It's, it's almost impossible to predict because you don't know exactly what the Raiders want to give up and the specific players that they're going to go after. I'm also trying to bring in as many mock drafts if I, that I possibly can. I'm trying to bring in all these mock drafts to get a sense of what the Raiders are going to do with an edge rusher, a linebacker, a defensive end, and we're going to be building on that over the next couple of weeks. So I won't say it's slow because I've never said it's slow my entire life, ever on the radio, nowhere I suggest it. But in order for, to get to, for us to have great Raiders content, we need a trade, we need a signing, we need someone to be let go or something to move the needle here. Because other than that, we can sit here and talk about Coach Flores all day. I'd rather talk about Coach Flores until mid-August after he gets his gold coat, and the same with Charles Woodson. But we are waiting for something to happen with the Raiders, not at a blockbuster level. The only thing at a blockbuster level is Deshaun Watson. Everything else underneath that has got to be big. You agree with me in the Raider Nation. It's got to be a signing or it's got to be a trade. I think something involving Marcus Mariota, something involving a defensive player, and I hope it happens sooner than later. 702-365-9200 if you want to get in. Right out of the gate. As we say, if you're in Vegas, it's great when we hear from you. If you're listening on the stream, you tend to dominate the show. So Raider Nation all over the country, let us know if you're able to hear it, download it. If you can get the show, and then get on the radio and we can put you up here. 702-365-9200. All right, let's go back to Tahoe and the game on Saturday where I was just amazed walking around for warm-ups and walking along the lake and seeing what I was able to see. And Colorado got off to a real quick early start. Right out of the gate, Colorado gets on the board. Along the near boards, Colorado works it back toward neutralize. Ranton it works with McKinnon. Left wing. McKinnon breaks left circle to the right wing side. Gerard shoots. He scores. Sam Gerard from the top of the right wing circle. Colorado strikes first. one nothing. Avalanche just three minutes into the first period. So that's how the game starts off. And they, they put one on the board with Flurry early. And at that point, I, I noticed that the ice wasn't good. I, I, th I saw the referee skate and fall down unencumbered, and I noticed that a lot of the players, as they were leaving the shift, were looking at their coaches and looking up, and you, and you just could tell that the ice wasn't very good because it was baking in the sun, absolutely baking in the sun. And it fe you felt like it was going to be a slow game, so giving up a goal early was not going to help Vegas because it was going to be difficult to score in these conditions. Handle the puck, skate to the puck. I thought the goaltenders would have an advantage in this game, and that would happen. A flurry made a power play save early in the game, which was incredible because if this one got behind him, it could have got ugly early. And then we moved on to uh, the Martinez goal. Uh, let me stop for a second before we get to that. When they stopped, what happened is at the end of the first period, 
we, we in the media, we had to rotate out of our seat. Our seat was so good. We were standing in a podium right behind the, right behind the goal. And they basically told us that more media was going to have to come in and we would have to move and rotate around and go watch the game on TV. So at that moment, I won the lottery. I was with Vince Sapienza, Kevin Bollinger, uh, Jesse Merrick. There was a bunch of guys there, Heidi Fang, and we're sitting there. And we got very lucky because once we were told to move, to let other media come in, the game was stopped. The game was stopped at the end of the first period because of bad ice conditions, and we moved to an area where we could watch the game uh, via a TV feed. But, you know, the fun of it was going to be off because the delay lasted so long. Vegas comes back and ties the game after they moved it from daytime to nighttime. Here's the Martinez goal. Low to high pass, Petrangelo. Wrist shot, knocked down, loose puck. They score! Alec Martinez followed up with a rebound. The game is tied one and one. Alec Martinez, the big game performer, scores his first goal of the season. So right at that point, I was hanging around with a few hockey players. There were a bunch of hockey players up there who said, big goal. Big goal because Vegas, Vegas after the first period with the game being shut down, that was the best thing that could happen to the Golden Knights. They got a free reset. They got a free reset, a big long break to get some food and some fluid in them, to take a nap, to do what they wanted to do, to have a fresh start, start to finish the game and win the game. And they were able to do that. But then Colorado started pouring it on. After the McKinnon goal, they went up 3-1 on this goal, and Vegas was in trouble. Here's McKinnon trying to find a spot. Point shot. Score! Ranton in. Tips it in front. Taves let a rip from the left point, and that deflected puck goes in. Colorado 3-1. Yeah, so Colorado looked like the better team. It looked like they were going to be their night when they went up 3-1 to one in this game. And not the end of the world. You know, Vegas still has scoring power to get back into the game. The Alex Tuck goal was about one of the coolest, fastest turnaround. It just goes to show you that a guy this big can make moves like this around the crease of the goal. This was a beautiful goal. Got Vegas back into it. Pressure from Tuck spinning in front, and it is in. Alex Tuck has scored. Vegas back within a goal. 5.35 to go in the third. So that was fun there. So you knew that there was going to be an opportunity with pulling the goalie, pulling Flurry, that they'd have an opportunity to potentially tie the game. All Vegas wanted was an opportunity at overtime in a 3-2 game. This Flurry breakaway where he was able to make this save got me believing that it was going to be their night. Maybe after this save, they could come back and win it. And it's cleared back out. Breakaway for Kadri up the left side. Slap shot. Save Flurry right against the starburst insignia. He's got the whistle. Yeah, Flurry played great. I mean, he got all, he gave up a couple goals that were goals any goalie would have gave up in the league. But he kept he kept Vegas in the game. The Golden Knights were in that game. It looked beautiful on television during the day with the sun out. It looked fantastic at night underneath the lights. But Colorado was the better team. Vegas had a chance late to tie it up, but they were able to do it, and Vegas drops to Colorado in Tahoe. It's a stalemate. Stone pulls it out to the top. Petrangelo shoots, knocked around in front, cleared out. Will this be icing? The linesman waves it off. That will do it. The NHL outdoors belongs to Colorado at Lake Tahoe. Final score, Avalanche 3, Golden Knights 2. So good game. That's Dan Duva on our sister station on the Golden Knights Radio Network. So my big takeaway from the game is Colorado's good. You know, there's always when – when you get into hockey and you want to win a Stanley Cup and Vegas is one of the favorites, it does not matter how good you are. You're going to face one to two teams in your conference 
who are just as good and could knock you off. That is never going to change in the NFL, NHL. Even if you have a dominant team, once you get to the playoffs, it doesn't matter. That other team that's right behind you is good enough to beat you. And this year it's going to be Colorado. Colorado hopefully won't be the nemesis for VGK, but they match up against them really well. They're physical. They can skate. They have the goaltending and nice win for Colorado as they win the Tahoe game, the outdoor game, a lot of fun to watch. Afterwards, Peter DeBoer talked about the challenges of the game starting, then having to cancel it and sit around and wait. I mean, obviously the excitement of, of the game this morning. Uh, I think the disappointment uh, with our first period as a team, I didn't like how we played. Um, you know, and then I, I thought we uh, reset and came out and, and played two pretty hard periods here uh, tonight. You know, unfortunately, we were chasing the game, you know, right from the drop of the puck this morning. Yeah, it, there was a lot going on up there, a lot going on. It felt like you're at almost like a tournament game where something happened at the tournament. You got a bunch of parents and kids around and everybody's saying, hey, you can go to Applebee's and get lunch and then come back in a few hours, and we could see if we could restore the game and play the game again. But DeBoer made it clear that when they had that long stoppage in that break, that they wanted to go on and finish the game, play it at night no matter what. They didn't want a cancellation. We were prepared to play whenever they told us to play. I mean, obviously, preferred to play tonight, you know, and not early tomorrow morning, but, you know, we would have played whenever whenever they told us. There was no, you know, it, it wasn't like we were given a choice, and, you know, we just we just wanted to uh, to get the game done. Yeah, they wanted to get the game done, and they ended up losing the game. So anybody who watched it, anybody here on Raider Nation Radio enjoyed it, anybody knows the area of Tahoe well, you've been up there to ski or go out boating in the summer. What do you think of the game? That's what we're here to talk about. That's what we do here. We talk about talk radio and sports. That was a big deal. The NHL went to Lake Tahoe. It wasn't perfect because of the weather. It wasn't ideal. But in general, I thought they did a pretty good job putting on an event that looked incredible on TV, helps grow the sport, and they'll do it again. And the point is, if you're about to become a hockey fan, if you're about to become a hockey fan, and you don't become a hockey fan after what you just saw, I don't know what it's going to take for you to become a hockey fan. I say the same thing about NASCAR. If you go to the Daytona 500, you go to Talladega, you go to a big event, and you come home from that and you don't say, wow, I'm going to be a fan for that for the rest of my life, it's hard. It's hard to get you into the sport then because that was a beautiful way, absolutely beautiful way to get more fans and more kids into the sport. And I want to thank the Golden Knights who I'll do throughout the show today, and the NHL for giving me access to have a really good time up there. I had a lot of fun. Good to see my friends up there. And again, it was Fort Knox getting into it. That wasn't the type of event you could scalp a ticket. There were no fans. So to be behind that scene in Mystery Alaska, that type of view, to watch what I saw up close, uh, something I'll relish for the rest of my life, no doubt about it. I'm sure you saw this Cam Newton story. I wanted to get into this right out of the gate that uh, I thought it was impressive that Cam Newton handled it well when he had a kid at a seven-on-seven tournament, which he was there to help out and volunteer his time, come after him and heckle him. And this was the story that went viral over the entire weekend. Let's go back to the soundbite when Cam Newton was confronted by an 18-year-old high school football player. 
You asked. You're a free agent. You're a free agent, Rich. You're a free agent. You're about to be poor. You're about to be poor. I'm rich. You're about to be poor. I'm rich. You're a free agent. So that was a really, I wouldn't say ugly incident, but it was a very important moment because it went viral. The kid apologized today, put out a very lengthy tweet on social media. I'll do a deep dive on that yesterday, today, excuse me. I was really, I was really bothered by it because I have a kid the same age. And if my son did that, my senior in high school, that'd be a big problem. It's all about the way you disrespect your elders. And that was a story that I think it was good learning experience, a really good learning experience for everybody involved on the right way for kids. See, I didn't want to go near this today until we saw this apology because I don't know if the kid has comes from a single-parent household or he has a troubled background, and I, I don't know anything about it. But I went over and watched that video. I must have watched it 20 times. And to think that a young boy who wants to play at the next level would treat a guy like Cam Newton that way was absolutely insane to me. I, I could not believe it. And I kept going back watching it over and over again. And I think the teaching moment was beautiful. Everybody, the, the apology was real. Cam Newton took the high road. And I think this kid will hopefully have an opportunity, a second chance as a football player somewhere down the road to prove his ability and prove that he matured from this scenario. So we'll get into that. Uh, let me roll over to the NBA. Uh, the NBA, it's all about the Nets. The Nets have been on a bit of a roll. They've won eight, excuse me, six in a row, seven out of their last ten, and they've just ran through some of the big boys in the sport. So due to injuries, Anthony Davis is not at 100%. Players are injured. Paul George is on a restricted minutes countdown. you got to be kidding me. The Nets don't have Kevin Durant for most of the year. I mean, this is a really ugly situation other than the Nets and a couple of teams around the league. So I, I like the way the Nets are playing. If the playoffs started today, if it was Nets and the Lakers in a seven-game series, I think it would probably be the Nets over the Lakers, which to me would be not practical because I thought the Lakers were going to run away with this thing. But Anthony Davis is hurt, and LeBron James is going to have to figure out a way to come in here, save his MVP award, and hope that Anthony Davis comes back and plays near to – 100 percent all right we're trying to get this technical issue uh fixed my phone is blowing up when we come back uh we got a couple of good guests that are going to ha- come in and uh, we're going to talk to once a raider always a raider i'm excited to talk to this gentleman i've been on a couple of zoom calls with randy mcclanahan former linebacker for the silver and black won a super bowl in super bowl 15 ron jaworski will join us and lee hacksaw hamilton today we're always ready to go to work you know me it's good to be back here. Let's get this thing right and continue right here on Raider Nation Radio. No, I really haven't. I'm still kind of numb. You know, just thinking about that. H uh, O F. Hall of Fame, excited about, you know, uh, telling my kids and my friends and 
sharing the the end of this incredible journey that I've been on. Well, there he is, Coach Flores, JT, back with you, brought to you by Grimaldi's. Best pizza, five locations in the Valley. Once a Raider, always a Raider. Randy McClanahan, kind enough to join us, a former Super Bowl champion. Randy, great to talk to you again coming off the Zooms and Vegas and Coach Flores. Let's begin. How does it, he- how does it feel for you to hear your coach, Tom Flores, finally getting that call into the Hall of Fame? Give me goosebumps. I mean, what a great player, great coach, great human being. I'm so happy for him and his family. Wow. Just honored to be a part of it. Yeah, absolutely. You and all your former teammates that are going to get an opportunity to celebrate with Coach Flores and the Raider Nation and then come out to Vegas. We can't wait for it. Hey, Randy, tell us about your journey. Uh, coming out of college, what distinguished you as a tall linebacker who could play, run really well, really tall special teams guy? How did you make that move, the linebacker position, and catch the eye of Al Davis and the Silver and Black? You know, that's a good question. I ask myself that all the time. You know, I was basically a, a down outside linebacker, defensive end. And, uh, you know, one day one of the scouts showed up and, and uh, said, hey, we're interested in you as a Raider. And uh, I asked him what position. And he said, well, he said, we're thinking, uh, you know, it's kind of an inside linebacker. I never played inside linebacker in my life. But let me tell you what, it was a great transition. Loved playing on the inside versus the outside. And uh, just just a thrill to death to, to be a part. What was your role early on when you came with that first team? Coming off the 76-77 Super Bowl team, you come in, one of the biggest cast of characters, all these players. I can't imagine what it was like <laughs> for you to get to training camp and be around these guys, especially coming off a Super Bowl. What was that experience like? It was, it was incredible. I, I was an undrafted free agent, JT, and so I, I was – you know, you're recruited by, you know, other teams when you're in that position. So I had an opportunity to go to maybe some of the uh, newer teams. and you know, uh, But I said, listen, I'm going to the world champions. I'm going to go hang out with these guys. I probably don't have a chance at hell, but I'm going to go work hard and hang out with the world champions and see what happens. And, and that's exactly, uh, you know, what transpired. Just good stuff. Lucky make the team. Did special teams. Whatever they asked me to do, I did. Yeah, and what a hell of a special teams player you were. I've talked to a few people in preparation of this interview. The the leadership, you're a locker room guy, all your teammates loved you, and you were really great as a cover guy, especially on special teams. So I want to get back to the linebacker position. When you see a guy like Ted Hendricks or other players that are able to be kind of hybrid players, they could come out in from the outside, they can stunt. Who did you look up to? Who was your mentor when you came to the team originally? Well, you're right. It was the stork. It was it was Hendricks. Um, you know, this guy played a very uh, tough leverage game. Um, you know, the National Football League is played above the waist. Um, you know, you, you can't block. Or I shouldn't say that. My rookie year, you could block below the waist. But after that, the rules change and you couldn't block below the waist. So, you know, th- that really helped my game when you can just stay up and uh, use your your long arms and legs to leverage against other players. Uh, that was something. And, and Hendricks was a big part of that in my life. What a great guy. Great Randy friend. McClatt- yeah, really tremendous player. I've, I've known Ted well, well over the years. And when you think of the 
royalty of that position, edge rushers, linebackers, maybe no one ever to play the game as good as Ted Hendricks. Randy McClanahan kind enough to join us. So there was a little stint. You were with the Raiders. You weren't with the Raiders and came back. Tell me what that was all about in returning to the Raiders to win Super Bowl fifteen. Oh, gosh. It was, you know, I can remember uh, John Madden calling me in. For, we were already in practice. He calls me off the field, and he said, good news, bad news. And he said, <laughs> And I said, okay. He says, you know, the bad news is um, you're no longer a Raider. The good news is we traded you to the Buffalo Bills. And uh, I didn't even know where Buffalo was. You know, I grew up in the western part of the country. But anyway, went back to Buffalo, had a uh, real awakening from from that standpoint. Uh, You know, some great teammates back there, um, just different. And uh, got hurt my uh, second year with the Bills in training camp. They released me, spent a year rehabbing. And, uh, and just just thinking of Tom Flores, he called me out of the blue. I think it was like March of, of 1980 and, and asked me, hey, Randy, how are you doing? I said, well, I'm doing good, working out. He said, uh, can you stop the Bob Treo? That's, a, that's an offensive play. And I said, yes, I can, Coach. He says, well, I'm going to send you a plane ticket. I want you in, uh, in training camp with us. And that's how it started. We're lucky enough to, uh, to make the ball club and shoot win a Super Bowl. Randy McClanahan joins us. Isn't that amazing? All the guys I've been lucky to talk to, I always bring this back to the audience. There's always just one moment. Like if that phone call doesn't come, Randy, your life goes in a probably a good direction, but a completely different direction than the Super Bowl and the Raiders and a career in the NFL after that, right? There's, there's no question about it. I mean, just to have the opportunity, honor to play in the National Football League, but to have the privilege to, to go to a Super Bowl and win a Super Bowl, um, you know, that's life-changing. Um, and just amazing. Absolutely amazing. So couldn't be uh, more thankful. You were really tall for a linebacker then, and you were referred to one of the better players in that high split situation, really long legs, and, you know, what you were able to do on special teams, especially these covered teams. So you were one of those guys who figured, hey, if I'm going to stay here, if I'm going to earn an opportunity to win a Super Bowl, i got to be best when my number is called on. Did you feel that, that, hey, when the limelight came to you or the spotlight came to you, you had no choice but to excel? There's no question. I think, uh, you know, John Madden used to try to motivate, uh, get all the veterans to, uh, you know, participate in special teams, and he had a saying, he says, the more you can do, the longer you'll stay, referring to, hey, if you can go down on a kickoff or a punt return or punt coverage, you know, those are critical to our success as a team. And I never forgot that. And so, you know, the more flexible you are, the more things you can do, the longer you'll stay in that leg, that's for sure. Randy McClanahan is our guest. So most of our audience saw the 30 for 30 on Al Davis versus Pete Rozelle. A couple of things jump out at me from being on some Zoom calls with that Super Bowl 15 team. Take me to the moment of that players-only meeting at 2-3 and three when the season was on the brink and you guys all came together and aired all your grievances out and talked about what you needed to do to turn the season around. What do you remember most about that? Well, I, I do remember that the, you know, the leadership in the clubhouse was the key. You know, Gene Upshaw, um, Art Shell, you know, these, these, are, these are titans of the game and, and bona fide leaders as human beings. And those were the two guys that I recall in that locker room. You know, don't panic. We're not here to panic. We're not here to, you know, uh, jump on anybody or blame anybody. We're here to 
you know, bring this team together. There's some talent in this room, and it's being underutilized at this point in juncture, and it's up to us to turn it around. And um, that's what I recall. And from that point on, it just seemed like the team gelled. And obviously, we, I think we went on a, a, a 6-0 run and put us right back in the hunt. Yeah, you did. Randy McClanahan's our guest. So get me to the playoffs where you had to run that gauntlet just to get to the Super Bowl and see Philadelphia. Oh, I mean, the, the teams you had to play, especially having to go on the road. By then, Plunkett was establishing himself. You knew you had the quarterback, the great defensive players. What was your personal biggest memory from the playoff run? Well, I, the first one was, you know, obviously with Houston as a wild card, bumping them off with the snake and Casper on the other side of the ball, that was that was certainly a, a thrill. And then going back to Cleveland, minus 33 degrees, wind chill factor on that turf. Uh, and then Mike Davis picking that off uh, to seal that victory. And then, and then going to, you know, on the road to San Diego, what a shootout between Plunkett and Fouts. So, Kat, yeah. it was 34-27, and bang, we're, we're on our way to New Orleans in the Super Bowl. And then I got to ask you a question because it's, it's fair because you didn't have curfew early in that, and everybody tells the stories about who was going out from the twos, Hendricks, Philadelphia is stuck in their room, their coaches aren't letting them out. How loose were you guys in New Orleans considering all the pressure you had on you? Uh, it was, <laughs> there didn't seem like there was any pressure, JT. I mean, you know, Coach Flores, a very low-key guy, players coach, uh, he, he said, you got to go enjoy this and, and seize the moment. And I think the guys were responsible um, and, you know, obviously did the right thing. But uh, we were loose. We were ready to go. And, and obviously the Eagles were not. And so uh, we came out and went victorious. What did the Super Bowl mean to you? How did it change your life? Oh, gosh. They're just, you know, you think about it. Super Bowl 15, there's approximately 50 players. I mean, you're, you're just one of, of a handful of people that, that get to experience that, let alone win it. And uh, it, it just changes everything. Um, you know, it's a humbling experience to, to be at the top of your profession. And, um, you know, it was just, you, again, it, it was just life-changing. Randy McClanahan, as we wrap it up. Randy, once a Raider, always a Raider. What does this organization mean to you today at your age, your family? When you're a Raider and you get acknowledged as being a Raider, what does that mean to you? It's, it's very special. You know, I, Al and now Mark Davis, uh, you know, they perpetrated this uh, on the organization, and, and they, they look to this, uh, you know, alumni group as, as, uh, as family. And it's very, very special and very unique, I think, in the league. Uh, I don't know of any other team that does what uh, Al and Mark Davis has done over the years and keeping us together, and, and uh, really appreciate it. Randy, it's a pleasure talking to you. I look forward to seeing you in Vegas. I'm assuming with the stadium opening up, you'll get out here for a road trip. Where are you living? <laughs> I'm living in Phoenix, Arizona, and I got season tickets, okay? <laughs> right out there in the Love new stadium. It. Okay, section 243. So I'll see you, JT. You got it, Randy. Thank you. Really appreciate that. Randy McClanahan, Phoenix, he's a season ticket holder, a world champion, Super Bowl fifteen champion and alumni and he'll be out in vegas all the time i really cherish these interviews with guys like this because they all have a story 
about getting cut or being let go and traded, a phone call rings, back, boom, and they're part of history. And they're all very appreciative of what this alumni department does for them and their family. They have legacy bricks, and we love interviewing the former Raiders. Hey, uh, more on my Tahoe trip coming up next. I'll elaborate on the good, the bad, and the ugly when we continue on Raider Nation Radio. We prepared like it was a whole new game. We actually uh, reviewed the first period, took a lot of the things we didn't do well, and, and uh, when the players came back, talked about them and talked about the things we wanted to fix, uh, you know, like we would a game review from the night before going into the next game. I thought we did that. I, I liked our, our second and third period for the most part. JT, welcome back to the show. Voices getting going was in the altitude of... Tahoe for a couple of days and I wanted I said earlier in the show the good bad and the ugly of my Tahoe trip I wanted to share a little bit with you and how great of a time what a great invite thanks to the Golden Knights the NHL I had an opportunity to go up to Lake Tahoe when I got up there on Thursday I was there through Sunday I got back Sunday evening uh, with my buddies went on what, what I expected to be a ski trip and mix in some hockey and it was a weekend that I'll never forget So, again, I want to clarify what I meant by the good, the bad, and the ugly. The good was going to an event that really no one in the country went to. It was Fort Knox. It was impossible to get near this place unless you had a credential. And, again, thanks to the Golden Knights and the NHL, I put that credential together about a month ago, and I got approved, and I got a chance to go up there. And I really wanted to see this because I love hockey, and we talk about it, and I want to – experience events like this especially during a pandemic it it all goes back to when the pandemic started and I was on my way to see the Pac-12 conference tournament for basketball and I couldn't go and I was disappointed I never picked up my credential from that event just to hold on to a keepsakes keepsake so I get a chance to go up to Tahoe I get up there I get a credential a bunch of my buddies are there they flew in from Florida flew in from San Diego we're gonna make a ski trip out of it and I go on probably two big ski trips a year with my buddies. And it's a way for my friends and I to get together in the wintertime. And we love it. And we've been doing it in Vail and Colorado, Breckenridge, Mammoth for 20-plus years. So as soon as I said that I was going to go up for this event, a couple of my buddies said, hey, this is great. Let's get a couple of rooms. We stayed at the Hard Rock, had a couple of friends, connections. We got a couple of rooms up there. And we knew we were going to have a great time. So I get up there on Thursday night. And the weather, Thursday evening sunset, the weather is gorgeous. If you watch the hockey over the weekend, you could tell. It was just spectacular, the weather. And I remember saying to myself, wow, I wonder how they're going to pull this off. It's kind of warm. But I knew the hockey game was Saturday, and the NHL knows what they're doing. So Thursday night, we go to the village, and we're, if you know Tahoe, South Lake Tahoe, one side of the street is Nevada, the other side is California, And they were tough with protocol. First time since the pandemic I've ever been to a place where they told us in between drinks or bites of food to put your mask on, and they were dead serious about it. The servers, the managers were like very uncomfortably staring you down, even when you were outside, which was weird. So we didn't stay at that place too long, but I've been following the protocol and mask up all the time, and I support the mask. 
So you know where you stand with this. So I digress. Thursday, we know we're going to ski on Friday. So on Thursday, about 3 o'clock, we go to where we're going to get our rentals and our equipment, and we get online. The staff was great at this place at Heavenly, and we get our boots, our skis, and we're all geared up, and we get to leave it at the mountain because we're only a couple blocks away, but we get ready Friday to go skiing. All our equipment's going to be valeted and just be ready right next to the gondola to just get, snap on our skis, and start off. So we have a pretty good night Thursday night, big dinner, five guys inside the Hard Rock. We wake up Friday morning to go skiing, ski pants on, gloves, jackets, the whole deal. Head over the two or three blocks to the mountain, and we get there, and there's a big lift ticket building, like you'd see if you'd gone skiing anywhere. And there's a woman waiting outside, and we go, which lane should we get in for our lift tickets? And she said, what? We said, yeah, we're here to get our lift tickets. We're going to ski. And she literally laughed. And she said, there are no lift tickets. I said, what do you mean? She says, well, you have to reserve your lift tickets online in advance. I said, I've been skiing my whole life. I've never heard of that. She goes, oh, yeah, during COVID, you have to make a reservation to ski. So me and my five friends, the six of us now, are waiting there, ready to go skiing, and we can't. So my one buddy, Bobby, said, can we scalp? <laughs> he thought we could scalp tickets from someone. There wasn't a chance. And I go, well, why is it sold out? Obviously, on top of COVID. And she says, well, it's San Francisco Kids Ski Day. And our mountain only has 30 40% capacity. And it's sold out for all these kids. And we're sitting there at 9 in the morning. And we get bad beated. What a bad ski beat of my life. So... We give our equipment back because I couldn't ski Saturday. Saturday was the hockey game. And my buddies gave their equipment back. And then we went back to the bar and do what you do. Had a couple pops, had lunch, had a couple drinks outside, walked around. I had a pretty good day. And I couldn't believe it. We were shaking our heads all day going, we're the guys who didn't get lift tickets. Yeah, we were the guys. So I put that out on Twitter, a PSA, an announcement to everybody. No matter where you're going, scan. Call in advance and make sure you have your reservations for your lift tickets or you're not going to be able to ski. So we get a big night on Friday night. Saturday I get up and I go down to the Edgewood Golf Resort where they're going to have hockey, NHL hockey. Golden Knights are ready to go. They're going to play the Colorado Avalanche. And I got down there and, again, you could not get anywhere near the golf course to just look at it unless you had a credential on So I walked down there, and I got a chance to see it for the first time. And it was mesmerizing to see what the NHL did. On the 18th fairway of the Edgewood, which I was at for 10 years hosting my show during the American Century Celebrity Golf Tournament, golf tournament that Michael Jordan plays in, all the hockey stars, the big celebrities, they transformed that golf course into an NHL rink. And there wasn't a lot of media there. There was just a handful of people Got a chance to watch the Knights warm up and practice and get ready for the game. And then we stood in this media section behind the goal on a platform and got a chance to watch the game. Now, when we were watching the players warm up, we noticed that players were just falling down. They were skating with their hats on without their helmets, getting loose before the game, and they were tripping. It was easy to tell that the ice conditions weren't right. They just weren't right. It looked very soft. And the sun was pounding down. On the rink. I mean, it was warm. I took my coat off. I'm in a long sleeve shirt, and it felt like you were in Vegas 
in April or May. It didn't feel like you were up in the mountains in the cold. So the game started off, and I was watching it with a couple of guys from Vegas in the media, and we could just tell that this wasn't going to work. Uh, Golden Knights fell one nothing early in the first period, and then that long, long delay started. And they brought the media off the ice to the area we were, and they brought us back to a viewing area at the hotel. And then we got the announcement that the game was going to be suspended until later on that night. And I got a chance to walk around Edgewood and see it again like I used to remember it. And it was just so impressive the way the NHL handled that issue. They didn't want to cancel the game. The Avalanche didn't want to cancel. The Knights didn't want to cancel. They wanted to play. one nothing game. They traveled all the way up there. They're under protocol. They can't meet people. They can't go out in the casino. So they wanted to finish the game. They moved the game till 9 at night. It turned out to be a really good hockey game. Colorado beat the Golden Knights in a very competitive game. So I was just happy to see that, to be there, and be a part of the NHL in Lake Tahoe. So the good was I got to go. The bad was the game was delayed for seven or eight hours, and the ugly was that I couldn't ski until Sunday. So after Saturday, Sunday, we got our lift tickets. Yesterday, we were all set to get out there skiing. The weather was gorgeous. We had to catch a flight at 5 o'clock out of Reno, which is about an hour away from Tahoe. So we got up early and skied from 9 in the morning till 2 in the afternoon and then just had an Uber pick us up and take us down to the airport again and got on the plane, all of us guys looking at each other saying, what a trip. So it was a boys' trip. It was a hockey trip. And also the fans that I met. There were a couple of fans. I want to get this in before I forget. There were Philadelphia, Boston fans, a lot of Golden Knight fans because it's close to Vegas, and Colorado fans who were there, which was fantastic. So I got a chance to meet a lot of hockey fans, but the hockey fans couldn't go. But they were out in force. Not in full force, but they were out there in force because they realized this was going to be a -a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to go out and see or be around something like that, a game like that. So I was, it was nice to meet some new friends, uh, some guys on a Missing Curfew podcast. Missing Curfew podcast. Uh, Scotty Upshaw and Shane O'Brien and Jimmy Hayes, former hockey players, were up there. And we hung out and had a bunch of beers. And uh, I'm going to go on their podcast. They're going to come on the show. It was a pleasure meeting those guys. And it was just good to be in a hockey environment. So I just wanted to share that quickly about what's it, what it's like to go to a sporting event where no one's at, and I mean no one. There had to be a small member contingency of the media. It reminded me when I went and watched Tiger Woods win his last U.S. Open at Torrey Pines. Remember on that broken leg? Tiger played on the Monday, the playoffs, so most of the media went home. They were gone, and I got a chance to see that. And this wasn't a major in golf, but it was, it was really cool. It was good to see so many good people. Hockey players are the best. Everyone around a hockey organization is really cool. And then the fans, you know, going through the town of Lake Tahoe and seeing the Avalanche sweaters and the Golden Knight hats and the Flyer fans that were there, and especially the Bees, the Boston fans, I think Gary Bettman deserves a lot of credit for pulling it off. This was not an easy event to pull off. To put that hockey rink on the edge of the lake in South Lake Tahoe at the Edgewood Resort, Whoever came up with that idea over a napkin and a couple of drinks and said, I got an idea for you, really deserves a hockey award because it was fantastic. I hope they do it again. They'll probably move on to a different site in years to come, out on a lake or near the ocean, whatever they're going to do, and make it special. This was special. So if you're a hockey fan, get behind the NHL. I watched them pull off an event 
that had a lot of drama behind us, uh, behind it, a lot of ups and downs. It did not go smoothly with the ice. And Gary Bettman said, he goes, the sun is our enemy. Not a snowstorm, not rain, not a generator breaking down. It was just a fact that it was so gorgeous and the sun was just pounding down. It was pretty cool to see that and how they were able to react as a league and find a way to get those games in. All right, you can hit me up at JT the Brick. Any hockey update, anything you want to get into, I just wanted to share a story, share a story about a good sports road trip. I had a lot of ups and downs. It was great being with my friends and great making some new hockey friends. Wanted to share that with you as we continue on with the show.